0: You're on 121.5, the emergency frequency.
1: Welcome to the 21.5 show, a podcast for professional pilots by professional pilots. Join Dylan and Max, both with experience in flight instruction, the airlines and business aviation as they talk to a variety of industry experts, share stories and have a little fun along the way.
2: That's our opening. No, track, that's dude. not the opening song. Which, <laughs> sorry,
1: that was actually an accident. There, there we go. go. It's time. We're back. back. The DJ's they, dropped the track. That's right. 21-5 podcast. It's a show for professional pilots by two extremely professional, talented, sharp as attack airmen. Yeah, clearly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Joining you from our studio here in Scottsdale, Arizona. Very hot. A lot of good stuff on this episode. It's been a not so great week for a lot of professional pilots, many of our brothers and sisters at uh, the airlines getting their furlough notices this week, which is a bummer, but have no fear because we have lots of great content for those folks today. We have a great conversation with Chris, who has been through a furlough, survived it, gotten back and looking at a second furlough. But I think if you listen to his attitude and what he has to say about going through this, it's really going to be inspiring. For yeah, a lot certainly of
2: inspiring. Chris has got a great take and great attitude. So it was great talk with him. And then we got our boys from Raven back who also listened to Chris's interview mm-hmm. and kind of had a follow on to that as far as, you know, basically we can break this down into two types of pilots, right? There are those that, are going to sit on the sidelines and hope things get better, or there's those that are looking for what they can do to improve their situation and uh, come out the other side here. Yeah. And so, you know, we really go into that. And, and anyway, you listen, you see, but, and the best part too is that Raven is giving something away for free. Mm. at the end of that so something oops. of value yeah. yeah something seriously of value so don't don't switch off uh, until you get to the very end of the of the podcast and hear what they have to say What yeah. they have to
1: offer, absolutely special offer for our listeners something tangible you can do immediately to help get going on your would, job search i wouldn't
2: argue to say it's a special offer for our subscribers oh
1: yeah if you are not a subscriber you better smash that subscribe button right now <laughs> <laughs> Red great review speaking of reviews got a new one max
2: yeah Um, It's from Beaver02. 215 Rocks, best podcast for the industry as a whole. The guys do a great job explaining everything in a way that from a wet commercial to a seasoned ATP with 20,000 hours can understand. That's from Beaver02.
1: Thank you. Beaver02, if you write into the email info at 215podcast.com and Send us your address. We'll send you a little something, something. And uh, that goes to any of our other listeners. If you want to write a review for us on iTunes, we will get a little treat for you in the mail. Speaking of treats, we got some donations. More donations from folks, Max. It continues to surprise me. (laughs) I know. It's awesome. (laughs) On our uh, website, 215podcast.com, we have a little donate button where folks can go and support the show. Unfortunately, it is not free to put out a podcast. And... So all of these donations really help us to keep the show afloat. A special shout out to uh, Joshua F- Flatley from uh, X Vector, who was very generous. And uh, we really appreciate that, Joshua. Check your, your mail. You got something in the way. Something on the way for you.
2: And another one from Girls Go Flying Books. Thanks again for the donations. It's uh, very much appreciated. Yeah.
1: All right. uh, Well, we've got a lot of content to get look at. So let's get to the mailbag. And then uh, we'll get into those interviews. One good email in the mailbag came in from our previous conversation on the last episode about maintenance. So for folks that didn't listen before it was a pilot talking about how much a corporate pilot talking about how much should he be at the facility when maintenance is being performed on his aircraft As so the the owner of the aircraft was hoping he'd be there every single day and he was kind of questioning uh, how much he should be there and we actually sent the our conversation to to that pilot and and he he made a little revelation to us uh, the airplane in question was like an old 441 <laughs> And so it sounded like it was just taking a lot to keep it in the air. So I think that was kind of, but that being said, the principle yeah. is the
2: same, whether it's a 441 or exactly, a, you know, 650, it's airplanes and airplanes.
1: Absolutely. So we had a listener, Phil W, send in an email and he was just going through this whole process himself. So he wanted to share his thoughts. So we'll read the little snippets of, of his email here. So his main point was I don't check in on maintenance all the time. For the same reason, the owner doesn't come up during cruise and supervise us. I don't have the expertise to know if it's being done right or not. That's what we pay a professional to do. But he does say this. For major projects, I show up early and stay a while to make sure everyone has all the resources they need. Case in point, we had hot sections and interior being done at the same time. I got there early and make sure everyone had donuts and coffee. Mostly, I was just a liaison between our guy and the engine guys as necessary. Once it got going, I got out of the way.
2: And he says further for routine stuff, I make phone calls periodically to make sure there's a plan in place. If something is going on that I can learn from, I go down and look over the shoulder and ask questions. So he was basically saying the same thing that we are saying, right? There there's there's a line there. That's not all day, every day, and it's not never. Yeah. And it's and I think that's tailored like to your specific operation and even further to what's being done with the airplane and how many people are working on it and where it's at and everything else. But but I think the the takeaway from the whole discussion then and now is that it's somewhere between and, and you got to figure out where that is.
1: So thanks for that email, Phil. We really appreciate it. And I like this segment of taking stuff that we see online and having a discussion. We had a lot of great feedback from folks talking about that. So here's the next topic that I want to discuss, Max, and I'll just throw it out here for you. And then I want our listeners to... Th- to respond with their thoughts with so many um, folks being laid off. And as we've talked about before, when you're laid off, everyone becomes a contract pilot. Uh, There's a lot of people learning the ropes about being a contract pilot, right? And so there was someone making a post about, hey, I committed to a trip for somebody. And then another trip came along, which I turned down. And then the original trip canceled and he got burned. And so he was asking about some of the best practices about how to handle that. And how do you get people to commit? Should you send somebody a bill if they cancel a trip on you? What are kind of the terms? So do you have any experience with that? Do you have any thoughts?
2: Yeah, for sure. So I think, yeah, he's in a tough spot. And unfortunately, in his position, I don't think he's much he can do because you have to take a preemptive approach to that, to being able to to have some ground to stand on when you're looking to become compensated. And so the easiest way to start that is when that trip, when that other opportunity comes up, yeah. you check in with the guy who you've already committed to you say, Hey, I've already committed to this trip. I just want to confirm it's going because I'm going to turn down this other trip. And he says, yeah, for sure. It's on. Right. Of course. Mm-hmm. And that's when you reply and say, okay, I'm going to turn down this other trip, but can I count on you to guarantee payment for this trip in the event that it cancels? If it says yes, great. Turn down the other trip. So you'd like to help again sometime in the future. If he Mm -hmm. says, well, no, that's not how we work. Say, and and then you have a decision also to make (laughs) which the probability, but
1: yeah. I mean, the, the really the problem is it's a supply and demand issue right now too, right? It's always in flux. So your your leverage may be in, in question. There was one person that replied with something pretty good that I thought would be really good. This was Susan, and she said, I always use a first right of refusal policy instead of an actual commitment. I give the first client the right to keep and pay me regardless if the trip cancels or not or let me go. I granted a 24 hour window to try and reach them for the decision and use the first right of refusal. And if they don't respond, I take the next job. It's worked pretty well for me in the last 15 years, which is basically yeah, exactly what you're saying. The same thing I'm saying, but she yeah.
2: basically has, well, I don't know. How's that different?
1: It, it is basically the same. It's the first okay. right of refusal yeah. is okay. exactly what sure. it is. So I'm curious what, you know, we're, we're not really active in the contract flying community though. So I'd be curious to talk to some, maybe some full timers or some people that do a lot of contract work and just see, yes, in theory, because I think the first writer refusal sounds great in theory. For
2: sure. Sitting here in
0: the in the in office, the office but, going,
1: yep, that's how it works. But we all know that that is not how it works in the real world, especially right now when it's probably very competitive to get a trip.
2: Well, so, and those, those trips are the direct result of whatever relationship you yeah. forged with the person making the decision on who gets the trip and so you do that and you draw that hard line and you you know you go in a different direction mm-hmm. it's a finesse move it really it is. is a finesse and, move. and that might cost you you have to look at the long-term ramifications of that too so
1: so if you're a contract piler you do a lot of contract flying we'd love to hear from you it's info at 215podcast.com or you can hit us up on the socials at 215podcast and uh let us know your thoughts how do you handle the
2: yeah, but if there's a Multiple guy that you've trips. done 30 days a year for, yeah. right, and he cancels on you last minute you missed out on that trip, is that just the cost of of doing business at that kind of volume? I mean, you're not going to come after the guy, right, for the one day when when he's giving you all that work.
1: I would imagine, yeah. So yeah. a lot of things to consider. A lot, of, a lot to consider. Never
2: cut and dry, as most ex- things are exactly. not. Exactly, but,
1: but I think it's important for as more and more folks are dipping their toes in the contracting water right now, it, it's a good conversation to have. I mean, we could have a whole other conversation on rates and cutting oh, you know, in liability.
2: And, That's the other yeah. big one that, you know, you and I remember we were doing contract flying together in some instances. And there's certainly liability considerations, liability for your own certificate and making sure, you know, an airplane is truly airworthy and versus liability. If you hit, a wingtip on something versus if you're actually insurable on their insurance, all kinds of stuff.
1: So. Yeah, and it uh, same thing though. It, it, you start asking too many questions and digging too deep, then it just it's a it's a balance. It is. It's yeah.
2: a contract flying can be a very lucrative, but also very risky business. Absolutely.
1: So if you got some experience in that, we'd love to hear from you so we can continue that conversation and help educate the folks.
2: It's funny. The liability with uh, contract flying kind of makes me think of the liability of losing your medical as a professional pilot. Yeah, there's uh, ways to insure against both, but the best best way to insure against losing your medical and therefore your income is with our friends over at Harvey Watt.
1: Now that's right. They have been insuring professional pilots for many, many years. I think they're up to 75,000 professional
2: pilots. In how many countries? I don't know. Do you know? (laughs) I thought that was a stat Probably. (laughs) More than this one. Yeah. Let's just say that. Up to, but not
1: including, 365 (laughs) countries. (laughs) I'm not sure. But I do know that all the information can be found at harveywatt.com. They've got all of the different programs available. Loss of medical. You can do it, get it if you're a corporate pilot, charter, airline. I think it's 75. It could be. If only there was some sort of electronic portal that we could use.
2: Rob, yeah. please send us an email. <laughs> Info at 215 Podcast. Yes, that's right.
1: <laughs> but, uh, check them out. You can get supplemental coverage. They've even got life insurance. Especially for any of you folks who fly your own airplanes. Can be a disqualifier for a lot of uh, regular life insurance policies. So I've got a policy with them. It's great. HarveyWatt.com. Oh, you hear that, Max? It's time for... It's
2: hiding in the grass again.
1: The featured furloughed flyer. Ooh. I think that's what we're gonna do. Nailed it. Yeah, we've got Chris. He's gonna be calling in. Um, he reached out to us via Pro Pilot World, and uh, has some great stuff to share about his experience being furloughed previously and his upcoming furlough. Yeah, so, just a great dude. Yeah, you know,
2: <clears throat> has some interesting stuff about the job he used to do in the yeah. military. He's got, he's just got an overall great attitude. And, Absolutely. And, uh, here's Chris.
1: We have Chris. He's also known as that guy on ProPilot World. Uh, welcome to the program, Chris.
3: Thanks, gentlemen. It's uh, good to be here.
1: Yeah, welcome. Chris, you have a very colorful uh, career. You're giving us a little background here in the, in the pre-interview. And uh, first, we'll start off with the furlough stuff because that's what this segment is about. But wanted to t- talk a little bit about your history. So can you tell us a little bit about the, the past and present furlough situation?
3: Yeah, so I was not exactly furloughed, but let go from a corporate flying gig back in 2012. Again, not a great time to be in aviation. Just a lot of uh, people out on the street, a lot of flight departments are closing down, and I was on the corporate side. And I finally, about a year ago, got on with my dream airline. i from New Jersey originally. I always I wanted to fly for Continental or United, and I got picked up and was in class October 1 of 2019, and I am now getting ready to be furloughed on October 1st of 2020, so happy anniversary to me. Oh, man. Wow.
1: So you got to live the dream for, for a few minutes.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, and actually, it was living the dream. I've never had such a fantastic and, and quite honestly easy aviation job. It was a lot of fun while it lasted. Absolutely. It'll be back. Don't worry. Yeah. Eventually it will be. I, I, I believe that, but you know what? I'm not looking in the rear view. I'm looking, you know, straight ahead. I see what's coming down the road and I've been through it before with my corporate gig back in 2012. So, you know, it is one of those things. It, it sucks. I'm not going to deny that, but I think you have to have a very positive attitude towards things and you know, yeah, while it's not optimal, it's not the end-all, be-all. I mean, first of all, I'm in good health. I've got a great family that's uh, 100% behind me. And, you know, I've got some other options out there right now that I might be able to kind of work into. I could always go trucking. So there's that.
0: Want, yeah, you- no, and, and a lot of times joke about you had to go into trucking school and stuff, but you actually you actually did that. Will you talk a little bit about your past trucking yeah. experience?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So when my last corporate flying gig back in, I'm sorry, I was not really my last corporate flying gig because I was a, a pilot for uh, the wheels up uh, contract from uh, 2014 to 2019. But when my last part 91 corporate job went away in April of 2012, there, and there was nobody hiring. My father-in-law has been in trucking for quite a while. And he said, well, you know, you've got yourself a job, good, you know, go trucking. And I, I thought he was absolutely crazy, but he kind of talked me into it a little Bit. I've always loved everything transportation related. It doesn't matter whether it's motorcycles, airplanes. I've always loved anything to do with transportation. So I went with him on the road for about two weeks and he taught me the basics of operating a semi truck with a flatbed and how to secure different loads and whatnot. And uh, I got to be honest with you guys, I've probably never been so scared in my life because whether it's the military or flying for somebody else, I've never been the one completely and totally responsible for the well-being of my family, whereas it's all resting on me. But once I got past that and realized, yeah, you know, this is something that I could do, it became a two-year endeavor and we got really good at it. My wife helped me out and it it helped bridge the gap, if you will. And it was it was quite an interesting endeavor. I actually kind of miss it at times because You're your own boss as an owner-operator. You do what you want. You uh, negotiate your own rates, and uh, you work on the truck. You drive the truck. So uh, I don't know that I would do so well for one of the large trucking companies like J.B. Hunter, Schneider, or something like that. But as an owner-operator or working for a small family operator, it was was a great experience. So were you like a long-haul trucker, and you'd leave for, for several days at a time, or how did it work? Yeah, so basically, uh, I actually bought from a, a friend who was Pennsylvania State trooper. He was actually a helicopter pilot for the troopers. He had a 1979 Kenworth cab over, which you don't even see on the road anymore. And it has a big old bunk in it. It's got a bed in the back. And I I leased a trailer. I bought the tractor from him. I leased a flatbed trailer. And what I did is there's actually a website that you go on. There's different ones that have brokers on there and they they advertise loads and then you call up and you, you haul what you want, where you want. And what I did a lot of is I went kind of up and down the Eastern seaboard quite a bit, but the summer of 2012, I loaded my my wife and my stepdaughter in the truck and we made a trucking vacation out of it. We went from Bethlehem, PA with a load of stainless steel. Our first stop was out in Denver and then we spent a couple of, of days out in the LA area after we did our final drop. Uh, I had a friend of mine who was actually restoring one of these trucks out there. And then we worked our way back East. So I've, I've not all 48 states, but I've been in quite a few. And the interesting thing is, is that you don't see it from, you know, 30, 35,000 feet, the way you do at zero feet AGL from behind the wheel of the semi truck. It's a lot different. And it's, it's actually really cool to see things up close. Heck, we even dropped the trail outside of the, of the Grand Canyon. And then I just drove the tractor up in there and I was able to take my stepdaughter up to see the Grand Canyon for the first time. So we did <laughs> all cool. over the country. Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's all what you make of something, right? I mean, you know, it's not optimal to, uh, you know, to be, to be trucking and not flying, but we had a really good time doing it. And, uh, although it was tough and, you know, we were stretching a nickel to make a dime, it was, it was a very big growth experience for, for myself and actually my wife and I. So. So is that what you're considering doing now or, or,
0: or what are you thinking?
3: Well, Max, you know, I, it's always there, right? I have my CDL. The only thing you have to do, it's kind of like with our FA licenses, you have to have the uh, medical certificate to go with that. Well, on the DOT side of things, you have your CDL. If you don't keep your medical current, you actually will wind up losing your CDL and you have to actually go back and, and do the license, the whole thing, the written and the practical over again. So I just, I just keep my DOT uh, medical current. I submit it to whatever state I'm living in at the time and they update their records. So it's one of the options. Absolutely. But uh, honestly, I I've, I'd love to stay flying throughout this uh, next, you know, chapter of my life because I, I, that's what I My first love is, but uh, yeah, I have no, I would have no qualms. I've got a couple of friends around with some really decent kind of family run trucking companies. And I wouldn't turn that down either. Nah. I mean, you got to do what you got yeah, so to do. And the see of you know, bottom line.
1: It's such a good perspective because I think for a lot of what we see on social media, and obviously we see a lot of the younger pilots on social media, this is their first turbulence they're experiencing in aviation. And so maybe they went to college and got hired really quickly in the regional and now everything's turning and they don't have a lot of life experience. They don't know anything else. And so I think you can, I can just hear the confidence in your voice that, Hey, you know what, whatever's going to happen, I know I'm going to figure it out. But what would you say to somebody in their mid twenties, or maybe just getting started that's looking at that first furlough? Do you have any, advice or maybe perspective to offer them?
3: Absolutely. First of all, it's, it's going to suck and we just need to compartmentalize that and say, yeah, this is where I'm at right now. I've, I got out of college. I went to the regionals. I was able to, you know, do my time there, get on with one of the majors. The big thing is, is that you can't look the gift horse in the mouth and slap it. it whatever you have a knack for whatever it is that outside of aviation that you might be interested in doing now is the time to pursue that to have your plan b or plan c the next time that this happens because we know that it does okay even when this comes back there'll be the next time and you want to be a well-rounded individual you don't want to be that one person that uh, yeah i can fly a, a plane and i can fly maybe just this particular type of aircraft. You want to have something else to go with that to offer to other either part 91 or 135 flight departments, or even just for your family's sake. You might be single right now and it's not that big of a deal, but you got to think, you know, 10, 15 years down the road, maybe married with a couple of kids. What are you going to do if the furlough comes or the corporate flight department shuts down? And what is it something that you have a knack for that you actually enjoy doing? And yeah, it may not be aviation but as long as it pays the bills and you live within your means you're going to be okay and and that's the bottom line is that a lot of guys i know that are younger they they do and gals they they're like oh my gosh i don't i don't know what to do well heck man when this whole thing first happened i went door dashing okay and i'm still doing it part time but you do what you got to do all right Well, you cannot can i get in the mindset that i am just a pilot no you're not you're a, you're a person that needs to adapt improvise adapt and overcome to whatever situation you're confronted with is in fact being a pilot right <laughs> exactly exactly i mean i was scared honestly i was scared at the when i had to go trucking it was a scary time because i hadn't been forced to do something like that where hey guess what now it's all on you, man. Whether, whether your family is, you know, eating next week or going to, uh, you know, file for food stamps is going to be all up to you. And, uh, you need to just realize that there's other things out there besides aviation, you know, whether it's trucking, I mean, the railroads are hiring. There's, there's, Lots of different options. If you have a knack for general carpentry or contract work, that kind of thing. If you maybe did did that, or your parents did that, that's something that you can get into. That doesn't go away. Heck, I wouldn't even turn down a job job driving a garbage truck, right? I mean, you just do what you got to do. And then you know what? Well, I was telling you guys before we kind of got on on the air that. You don't know what that next opportunity will do to not only help bolster your own character and your ability to over, overcome adversity, but the individuals that you actually may meet there may help actually springboard you into something else further down the line that you never even thought of. For example, I worked for a uh, laboratory specimen company flying specimens around, and uh, one of the people that worked there actually had a friend that needed somebody to fly King Air and then I went from there to, to get my single pilot type on the King Air and fly for a family. So you can't just say, I'm just a pilot. That's, that's being very lazy, if you will, as far as I'm concerned. You got you to kind of think outside the box and do something that is going to help you that in the future when this happens, you're going to be prepared for it better.
1: All right, Chris, we have your next job lined up. Actually, I've just decided you're going to become a motivational speaker. We're going to tour you around Embry-Riddle, Purdue, yeah, Auburn, uh, all of the colleges. And then we've got you meeting for some training with Tony
0: Robbins next yeah. week. So,
3: <laughs> you, you know, guys, I actually put a uh, on Propout World and one of the furlough threads I put on there. I said, hey, if, if there's anybody going through this and you need to talk to somebody, you know, if you're on profile world and you look up that guy and you, you want to talk about it, or you want to just hash things out, I'm more than happy to talk to anybody because if, if my what I went through is able to help somebody else going forward. then as far as I'm concerned, that's just paying it forward, you know, helping somebody else uh, to, you know, deal with the situation that they was just handed to them. It's not our choice that we're being thrown out on the street, but it is our choice of what we do with the situation at hand, you know, given lemons, make the lemonade.
0: I think a lot of guys, you know, fail to realize that being a pilot, making lemonade out of lemons is, is what you do. Whether that's the reason you learn systems on an airplane is so you can look beyond the checklist and figure stuff out if you have to. Or when the weather closes in or you have to divert. I mean, that's, that's exactly what we do. And this kind of a situation is no different. I think a lot of guys fail to realize that, in fact, being a pilot is figuring it out. And so everybody is certainly capable of doing it. I think a lot of people just have to realize that they are capable of doing it, you know, and come, come to the light bulb to come on before they can make that pivot. And also you just can't be too proud just because you're a pilot and you had, you know, some stripes on your shoulders doesn't mean you can't do whatever else in the meantime.
3: I can, I could not I could not agree with you more. At, for a perfect example, I was uh, the Southeast Region Pilot Supervisor at Wheels Up on the Gamma Aviation Wheels Up contract. I probably, over the time there, I managed 70 different pilots. I was a Czech airman, all that kind of thing. But I was the first guy to show them how to pull the honeypot for the lab to change it because that's just what you have to do. Okay. You don't, you don't be too proud to do the more menial things because the eyes are always on you, whether you realize it or not. And by, by relating that to somebody, they'll be like, yeah, you know what? This guy or this gal is not too proud to change out the honeypot to fly a king air. And so that's the individual that I want to eventually be flying my Gulfstream or what have you, because you are the one that gets things done. No matter, you know, you're not sitting around just waiting for it to happen or, to, or making the line guy do it. You know, you want to make sure it's done right. You're going to probably wind up doing it yourself. And there's nothing wrong with that. It shows motivation. It shows taking the initiative.
1: I would rather empty all the honeypots than manage 70 pilots. I'll just put that out there. <laughs> right, right,
3: right. Well, it, it was interesting, you know, and and they. Uh, I've been told the military 10% are 90% of the problem. And it actually yeah. kind of holds true. But I always thought back to when I was a very large rock with a lot of sharp edges kind of rolling downhill at a high rate of speed in my 20s. And now i 'm not such a large rock, and a lot of the sharp edges have been knocked off, but that 's only been through my experience. So when I talk to you guys whether it 's a disciplinary thing or what have you, I always try to kind of take the perspective that, yeah, you know what this could have been me, and how do I help this guy or gal kind of move past this and become a better person and pilot for it so way back when I was still going to I went to actually county college in New Jersey for aviation, I had a mentor. And he said to me, he goes, you know, one day you're going to be in a position to help somebody out and pay it forward. And I've never forgotten that. Uh, The whole servant leadership thing is huge with me. And that was my biggest thing as a supervisor was trying to bring that and make that a reality for people that, You know what? They would rather call me with the question than to do something stupid and then, you know, suffer the consequence because they knew they would get yelled at. There's other supervisors out there that had that mentality. Don't call me unless something bad happens. No, 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 no. Stop. (laughs) Call me before you're thinking about doing this so that I can have your back and we can work on this together as a team kind of deal, you know. So. But that was, it was actually a great experience. It was very difficult because I was also flying a full schedule. So we were like doing eight on six off. Well, I ate on, I was flying, I was managing people. I was making phone calls and on my six off, I was also doing that. But again, it's one of those things where you step up and you do what you got to do. And I hope that, you know, maybe some of those guys and gals that I helped out, it, it, you know, it was me paying it forward.
1: Well, Chris, we appreciate your time sharing your story. And most importantly, I think sharing inspiration for, for uh, the younger generation that maybe hasn't seen this. And if folks want to message you on ProPilot World, can you say your username one more time?
3: Yep, it's that guy. And I am more than happy to answer any questions, especially for the younger folks that might be going through this for the first time. And I know that you guys... Mentioned Pro Pilot Award a lot, but I'm going to mention it again because it really is pilots helping pilots. It's a great resource, especially in this time, to get on there and start building your network if you haven't already. And I'll be more than happy to want to be one of the first in your network. Well, thanks, Chris. Best of luck after the act falls on October 1st, but I think
0: I speak for everybody when we say, you're not going to have a problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're figuring it out.
1: So that was uh, part one of our conversation with Chris. It, we actually uh, covered some more ground, which we'll uh, air a little bit later. Chris actually had a lot of cool stuff to share about his experience flying the A-10, which is, I I know we said in the interview, that's one of my dream airplanes to fly. It's just an airplane
2: everybody loves, yeah. but nobody knows much about. Yeah, you know, All we know is this big gun on the front, right? some sort of titanium bathtub, and yeah, right. weird looking airplane, but... Uh, it was cool. He, I think he he answered a lot of questions I'd already had in my head. So yeah.
1: So we'll air that in a in a future episode. Um, but thanks so much to Chris for taking the time to join us. And uh, now we're going to leapfrog into from the 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 theme Chris had on the on the attitude of being furloughed. We're going to discuss with Jason and James about uh, some of the tangible things that you can do once you've accepted that a furlough might be coming your way. So that's coming up right now. And be sure to stick around to the end because they have a really great offer for our listeners. Totally free from a financial standpoint. There's a little bit of time obligation, but... Well worth it. Yeah, it's going to be worth it. It's going to help you get your job search in motion. So here we go. Joining us, as always, through these unprecedented times, James and Jason from Raven Careers. Welcome back to the welcome show, Welcome back, fellas.
2: boys.
4: Thank you, gentlemen. By the way, if you ever say the word unprecedented inside Raven, we have several staff members <laughs> that will come after you. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I got verbally abused last week by a couple of them. So apparently, unprecedented is not a word we're allowed to use anymore. Right.
1: I Noted. I have a whole list of words I'm totally
4: over.
5: But,
1: anyways, and hey, Jason, what's up, man? Thanks for coming back. Hey, hey, I love that tune. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Jason, very modern. If if our (laughs) listeners are following the conversation on LinkedIn, James posts a lot of great advice. And uh, here's what Jason posted recently he has a didgeridoo, so he wanted to talk because we've got the furlough flute. We have the furlough flute. He said he was going to play the displacement didgeridoo for us at some point, so. Well, you gotta get work on that jace maybe practice
2: well, you're not prepared right now that?
1: i'm I'm so sorry i left it in my basement
5: okay all right well, we'll, <laughs> we'll bring do, it up next time we'll, we'll dig that up next time well let's well, hear the soundboard version though come on yeah I I no, get that. that's
2: all on you buddy yeah <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> fellas what the heck are you seeing out there we saw a lot of bad news in the in the industry this yeah, week since our last podcast yeah, the yeah. hammer
2: has dropped
4: exactly what are you seeing out there yeah, last week was a tough week. Uh, I think we're just over about 6,400 on uh, mainline folks right now. We'll we'll obviously see what's happening with the with the regional folks. But to be honest, it's, it's all over the place, man. You know, every time we t- we talk to somebody, we always start with, how are you feeling? Because it, it's a mixture. That You know, there's folks that are, there's anger, there's fear, there's sadness, and then there's surprise. Those are kind of the big four that we're running into on a pretty continual basis. I
1: saw these furlough numbers and I thought, we already kind of knew this and the Warren letters. And so some of that shock from my personal perspective, I was like, well, we've had some time to prepare for this. So it's not coming as a surprise, but you guys are actually interacting with these folks that are getting furloughed. Does it feel like people are numb or, or does it feel like things are really getting real for them right now?
4: So, I mean, a couple of things. You, if, if we objectively take a look back, I mean, we're kind of we're roughly at about the six month mark into this, right. And to watch a career in an industry unravel completely in that speed of time, even the most resilient folks, I think are going to take a step back and, and that's going to be, be uncomfortable. I always go back to my favorite Charlie Geller quote, right? People can't stand to handle bad thing's happening. So they severely underestimate their likelihood. You know, there's a lot of folks that they, they can't see a straight line out of this right? They can't see a straight line between losing their job and finding a new job. So the way they cope with it is they just pretend like, you know, it's not going to happen. Things will get better. This is this is a management trick. This is... Yeah. The one I've heard know. a lot
2: is it's just pressure to get the uh, CARES Act 2 passed.
4: Yeah. They, they've gone... The, the airline executives have gone in so deep on this deal that they've actually parked airplanes all around the country and they're not moving them.
2: Yeah. The answer to that is you're not necessarily wrong, but... Don't be mistaken. If the CARES Act 2 doesn't come through, they will furlough that many people. That's, there's. It's not a bluff you, is the thing.
4: You don't actually know if the CARES Act 2.0 does come through. They still might furlough
2: yeah, all those people. Absolutely. You don't know what they're going
4: to use that money for. For sure. My
1: point with this CARES Act 2, and this might sound a little jaded. I'm not in the, in the airline side. Like I look at a CARES Act 2 and I think, Unless the CARES Act 2 forces people to get on airplanes and fly, like, what is it really going to do
2: besides kick the can Well, down they the road subsidize the labor force and say, you can't furlough anybody, here's a for bunch a f- of money to make that happen. I know, but it's w- for a few months. Well, that's exactly, you're kicking the can. Yeah,
4: so so just, I mean, I, I won't name the person's name, but both Jason and I were talking with 121DO, <clears throat> I think it was a couple of weeks ago at this point. And and that's basically the sentiment is, hey, look, your best case scenario is you're kicking the can down the road and it could potentially reduce the total number of furloughs slightly, but it's not going to make a material difference. I mean, we're looking at, when this is all said and done, right? There's a potential, that you're going to have a whole legacy airlines worth of people out on the street between all the different companies that are letting people go. Sure. So when when we go back to the shocked portion, right? Even the people that said, hey, look, you know, I I definitely think there'll be furloughs. They probably didn't think there was going to be this quantity of furloughs. And, you know, like I said, we all have our <clears throat> our coping mechanisms on how we get through this. And denial is a very a legitimate and very uh, valuable tool to have while you're getting the mental resources together. And, you know, for the folks that have been through this before, it was pretty clear. And for the folks that this is their first rodeo, it's there's a whole <laughs> series of, of emotions that are going on right now. They're, they're shocked that senior people are talking about buying boats in the cockpit, sitting next to a guy that's losing his job in in a month. And I don't say that like, you know, gleefully it, it, it's, it's a matter of like, this is every time that these furloughs have happened. When I was at NetJets in 2008, nine, 10, I, I had, you know, I had literally gotten my furlough notice and I had guys talking about their RVs. You know, there's just so a certain bad. point where when you get in the cockpit, you just go, and then they, and then they, of course, turn and go. Hey, by the way, are you one of the guys getting furloughed? And you're like, yeah, actually, yeah, I am. Because I'm oh, looking shit, for sorry, somebody man. to wash my <laughs> RV.
2: Uh, total pilot move. Yeah, yeah, I mean,
4: they'd start apologizing, but you know, the name, those things, just it's going to happen, right? I mean, you know, it's a, it's a recession when your neighbor loses their job. It's a depression when you lose yours. <laughs> you guys are on the phone with these pilots every day, and you're, and you're trying to help them
1: get out of the denial portion. Can you talk a little bit about? How you
4: help folks get through that from a mental standpoint, yeah, so to be honest, if somebody's in denial at this point, there's enough people that aren't that we don't spend a ton of time with that and And the reason for that is because when you have something that's this traumatic and somebody's denying it, uh you can really start to engender some pretty negative emotions if you kick them into into kind of seeing what's going on. but look, we have everything I was just talking to a guy earlier today. Uh, a lot of folks reach out on LinkedIn, they read the posts, they see the stuff that we're putting up there and they reach out and go, hey, this, you know, this ad actually worked. And so one of the guys today was, reached out and said, you know, he, he's switching into government contracting. You know, he's moving his family. He's a legacy airline guy, decided to move his family. I, I, oddly enough, got the job through an internal referral. But, you know, he's leaving aviation altogether. We had another legacy pilot we started working with, you know, two, three months ago. He's on his second or third interview for different third for different corporate operators. Um, you know, I picked up four or five folks in that exact same situation. Both Jason and I were doing interview prep yesterday. One gentleman's going to UPS. The other gentleman is is interviewing at FedEx. You know, the amount of um, anxiety that people are going into these interviews with because their mindset is, if I don't get this job, there's no other opportunity out there. So the the range is, is all over the place. The folks that have been through this before are springing back better than obviously the folks that haven't, right? They know what's going on. They can see the writing on the wall. They're just accepting it. They're moving on. I would say for <clears throat> depending on where you are in the country or, or where you're willing to live in the country, some folks are optimistic about the feedback that they're getting in terms of reaching out to some different companies and then either being put in the stack and you know confident that they're going to get an interview in the future. They're getting interviews or they're getting job offers. And then some other folks that are in, in areas that are, that are less populated or don't have as much aviation around, you know, they're in the process right now trying to figure out, Hey, what am I going to do? Do I want to move and stay in aviation or do I want to leave aviation?
2: Yeah, it's interesting. And I think what, what a lot of guys need to step back and, and think about, and I mentioned this in our conversation with Chris previously is where, you know, figuring things out on the fly that's that's what we do as pilots, right? Whether it's an engine fire or it's a you're getting furloughed notice, either way, you have to think, adapt, and figure it out from there. You're not just going to go, hmm. Well, I hope that engine fire light's just a bluff. Let's just wait it out and see what happens, right? That's just not that's not what what we've been trained. That's not what we've been ingrained into our minds. And so, I think people that are waiting to see if this is real or to see what's going to happen you can't treat it like that. Do do what you do and, and you figure it out and, and you use your knowledge, whether it's in an in-flight emergency based on systems and things like that and the resources you have, or it's in the job market and you use resources, you know, like you guys from this podcast or LinkedIn and, and everything else that you have available to you and you figure it out. You figure out your next move because in an airplane, you're not going to sit there and wait and see what happens. You're going to react and use what you have and make a decision and move forward.
5: Yeah. Right now it seems like there's a lot of confusion. We're, we're seeing a lot of aggravation coming from people who are, you know, observing the flights that they're on and observing the flights that they're commuting on and, and seeing that they're full and they, they, picture that as being a profitable enterprise when you know they may not realize that those those planes with the 90-day bookings are are still terribly low or that there's still a large portion of the fleet parked and they're just selling tickets last minute or the yields on them right you know there's there's airlines selling tickets right now for $12 and it's just not a not a profitable enterprise so there there seems to be a confusion with what they're reading from the instrumentation if we take it back to the flight and not quite being able to pick up that what they're seeing in front of them is is potentially leading to a disaster situation
2: yeah and i think what contributes to that is that you turn on the news and what do you see oh the S P 500 set a, a record today and you know you see all of this encouraging news economically and you're like how could it be that bad right and that's a whole another discussion that we have oftentimes of why you know things are the way they are in certain segments, yet you know we're prospering in others, and and I think that's that happens and it makes sense in certain areas. You know, I flew with a guy that the other day that I hired as a contract guy that works for a shipping company, and they're crushing it. They're you know they're killing it since the stores have shut down and everybody even more people are buying online. That makes sense. That's that's tangible and you can put the pieces together. But when you, you know, and, and I, I suppose you can make sense of the economic news that you see um, on CNBC every day. But that's because, you know, the government has flushed the market with liquidity and, and money that they got from somewhere. And, uh, and so that's driving things, but that's not a permanent solution. And, and so you kind of have to look behind the headline and stuff, too, to, to really see and grasp what's the situation we're all in.
4: The other thing that we've got to kind of realize and to so the same guy that is, hey, don't say unprecedented, brought up a really good point. That's like a month or two ago. He goes, you know, as pilots, we run all this performance and we check all these numbers before we take off and we have all these exit strategies. That way, if something wrong happens, we you know, we're ready to go. But for some reason, when it comes to career planning, folks want to run the performance charts after they slammed into the mountain. <laughs> and, it, you know, and it's one of those things. It, it's true, right? Everybody's it's really true. It's like yeah. what we were saying, it's, right? It, it's, it's like V1 rotate. Hey, by the way, do you think we have enough runway here? I don't know. I just hope we're going to clear the trees. Like, <laughs> hey, hope's not a strategy, man. And so, you know, we have to remember that, that, you know, I don't know how you guys did it, but. You know, when I used to fly around and instruct in single-engine airplanes, my head was out the window all the time looking at grass fields. I've never had an engine actually quit in a single-engine airplane, but if it did, I had three outs. And the reason is, is you you prep those with the hope that you never have to use them. But if you do, you know, you got a couple of grass fields and maybe a highway out there for you.
2: Yeah, and, we, and we've brought awareness through our discussion with you guys, to our listeners, and we've gotten feedback that says, hey, I never even thought about going on LinkedIn. You know, and people that have... have kind of woken up and been like, okay, let's, let's figure this out before it's an emergency. So,
5: yeah. And, and we're having quite a few prospective clients call up too, and and they're in a little bit of a a panicked or or helpless kind of mode. You know, they, they've been saying, Hey, I've been sending out resumes and not hearing the back, you know, 35 applications in the last two weeks. And I haven't heard a peep. Yeah, i always tend to ask you know what well, what kind of what kind of networking tactics have you taken have you have you tried to build up and, and learn about what's going on in the company have you tried to to meet a few people to to bolster your understanding of what's going on in an organization, and it's it's all too often no. It's it's just kind of blanket resume patterning and, and applications, and unfortunately, in this kind of climate, that has a extraordinarily low percentage of success.
1: Seventeen hundred total
5: time type
4: rating <laughs> E one ninety slash one
1: seventy E one
2: thirty five one forty and one five hundred twenty dual well, I, given.
4: I don't I don't know if you saw my post the other day on LinkedIn, but I, I made it abundantly clear that keep paying to keyword optimize your resume is a waste of time and money. You know, when you have seven, eight, nine, ten thousand 10,000 pilots on the street, they all have the same keywords, ATP, turbine PIC. Right. So so you spend all this time trying to keyword optimize your resume when the way you beat the system isn't keyword optimizing it. You get a live human being on the internet talking and then they hand deliver your resume. I mean, Jason had someone a couple of weeks ago, person couldn't get into the front door, so we kicked in a side window and uh, had someone completely unrelated in a separate department walk up to the actual aviation hiring manager and put it at the top of the stack on that person's desk. You know, that's right now we live and die by a community of human beings. There is no trick of like keyword jamming something. We just, we're going to have to rely on relationships. And there's a lot of folks out there that go, yeah, but I don't know anybody. Okay, but everybody you know in your current life was a stranger at one point. For sure. we We know you can do it. There's just some techniques that you have to use to get people talking and going, hey, can you help me get a job is not the way to do it.
2: Well, the other thing too, is that I think a lot of people listen to this and they're like, that all sounds great but are there really any jobs out there? And I can tell you maybe we can go around the table but I can tell you personally from my experience in life right now, you know, I got a job last month. I'm hiring another dude in the next couple months. The guy I flew with last week, he's hiring a guy in the next couple months. I know of a billionaire that's that's shopping for airplanes, just had one under contract. He's I shouldn't say I know, I know of <laughs> but and he's he's going to be hiring a crew and, and that's just all here in our tiny little network port, yeah right here 5 minutes away so and send so, your resumes
5: to info at yeah, five right. podcast <laughs> but then also there's uh, a do,
1: there's a
2: donate button at the <laughs> bottom of the <laughs> visit <laughs> our patreon <laughs> the only fans but uh, but then and then you say okay great so there's some opportunities out there and then you say how many pilots of the 6000 what's the total of
4: that's a little over 6,300 or just legacy. That doesn't include ExpressJet, Trans. States. Yeah, that doesn't count that doesn't everybody. Let's just that.
2: take that number. And of that amount of pilots, how many of those guys are subscribers to this podcast, right? And that are going to listen to this episode. And so you whittle that number down to guys that maybe have the... the the yeah, Or guys or girls. Good, thank you. That that have this technique that really the rest of... A lot of people, myself included, hadn't heard of of searching for a job this way previously. And so my point is there are jobs and you, if you're listening to this, you are part of a smaller group of the greater group of, of pilots that are looking for jobs. So there's a chance. Like you, if you get to work and you apply these principles and, and you grasp the situation at hand, you can figure it out.
4: Well, and the, the chance is a 64 to 86%. So it's not hundred percent, but it's significantly higher than 3%. Right. I mean, I don't know about you, but screaming into an empty closet is not my idea of productive energy spent. And and you hit the nail on the head. you know. And people ask us all the time, how am I going to compete with seven, eight, nine, ten thousand 10,000 pilots? And I go, you're not competing them with them for a job. You're competing with them for attention. And what I mean by that is that your biggest liability is if you apply to a job online, your resume is going to sit buried at the bottom of a stack of 10,000 crappy resumes. But if you make a live personal connection, now your resume is sitting in a stack of 20 or 30 resumes. Now... Those odds, significantly higher. And a lot of people won't do what we're saying for the simple reason that, man, what if I bother somebody? What if they tell me no? Like, well, then then you bothered somebody and you're not that important that they're not going to forget you 36 seconds after you're done bothering them, right? Don't keep creeping. <laughs> and number two, <clears throat> right? Okay. If they said no, you're in no worse of a position than you were
2: being ignored, right. sending you have out hundreds lose? of resumes online. You literally have nothing to lose. <laughs> literally. Well, here's my question, you guys. So so we say there's over 6,000 guys, that that number we're using, that's from Delta United Americans. So those are pilots at a certain average experience level right so what do you say to the express check guy who's been there for a year and has a significantly lower experience level than that than than those guys and you say he's gonna say you know how how do i compete with that like how do i how am i gonna get a job when there's that many dudes that have twice as much experience as i do
4: oh easy hey uh number uh, two things number one i'm not gonna you don't have to worry about my recall notice and number two, I'm not going to tell you how we used to do it back at Company X because it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> that that now, is <clears throat> now that, back to where my back to where my office is going to be. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I tend to like a sectional type style setup.
5: Uh, yeah, it, inadequacy is is probably one of the main emotions that we're seeing lately. I had a, a person call up today and go, you know, how am I going to compete against uh, all the Delta guys? He, he's he's a uh, instructor at Flight Safety, and I've personally flown with him. I've known him for a long time and, and he's he's wanting to try to get into UPS or FedEx, but he's just concerned about competing with, you know, senior express jet pilots, and, you know, guys from Atlas and ATI looking to make the jump to UPS, FedEx, and and you know, how do I set myself apart? And he wanted to know if I knew anybody over there. And I'm like, well, if I, even if I know someone, I'm not necessarily gonna put you in touch with them. I, I like you, but you know, there's there's steps that we'll take so that you can make that personal connection. And once you make the personal connection, then yeah, then, then you can actually leverage it and, and have, have someone go look for your name. That is the absolute best thing you can do. When, when I was recruiting, if someone gave me a referral, that that's the resume I'm going to go look for in the stack, right? And, and there's gonna be steps that happen after that. But the driving force behind me going to look in a stack, going to look through the ATS system for a name all all came from a referral from someone I either trusted or somebody that made a a solid positive impression on me.
2: Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I've been on that side of the the table where you're you have the stack of resumes and you're trying to figure out who to hire or who to interview and then and subsequently hire. And you're looking for any reason to set somebody apart from the other, right? Because you may have this many guys that you fit the profile that you want to interview, but you have half that many slots, right? So you have to discriminate somehow. And and so if somebody gives you a reason to pull a guy and, or and, girl and, or girl, thank you. And add some, sorry, I'm just carried away right now, but, <laughs> and, 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 and set them apart and, and give them some extra points or however you want to look at it, that that's an opportunity you're going to take, right?
4: 100%. So folks get really, really caught up on, on things like flight time and, and so on and so forth. And so there, there's two different things that will help you get a job. One of them is what's called the qualifier and the other one's a differentiator. So the qualifiers are things like ATP, flight time, type rating, so on and so forth. And everybody wants to focus on that because they're the easiest ones to focus on. But here's the deal. When you have 6,300 people that have an ATP with 5,000 hours total time and a couple of type ratings, qualifiers don't get you a job. They just remove you from the no pile. That's it. And when folks focus on flight time, the biggest thing they have to remember, you can get around a lot of that. The only time you can't is if there's some type of insurance requirement or Argus requirement or some type of requirement where they physically can't put you in the seat. But if that doesn't exist, do we get people across that finish line with lower than published minimums all day long? But the way you do it is on the differentiators. And the differentiators, especially right now, when you have companies either are in a cash trap position, or businesses out of control, they both need the same solution, which is they don't need a butter knife, they need a Swiss army knife. So when you walk in and you have the right attitude, right? And you go, hey, look, you got problems, I got solutions, I just need you to help me understand what the problems are. I mean, two thousand. 10 when I got laid off, somebody put a, a job posting up on, on a web board and in big, bold letters said, do not call. So what did I do? I called him <laughs> and and I was on the phone with him for 25 minutes. He pulled the job posting down while I was on the phone with him. When I talked to him a couple of days later, he goes, I don't want to receive in. another phone call like this. It's so <laughs> bad. no, it's not. yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, so uh, interesting story. The The actual original position that I interviewed for, I didn't get hired at but I did well enough on the interview that the guy hired me to be a DO. So I didn't get the pilot position, but I did get the DO position. So the guy who did get the pilot position ran into me at work about two weeks later and goes, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm your new boss. How you doing? <laughs> uh, that's a story for a different time. But, <clears throat> but he, he flat out said they put a fax number on there. He goes, we had to shut the fax machine off. We were getting hundreds of resumes. So they just shut everything off. And he, he, the the two people that got brought in were both off of a referral. I mean, I, you know, it's one of those, look, if, if a job has 5,000-hour flight time requirement and you only have 1,200, you're not getting to the 5,000. There's no way to get around that other than talking to someone and finding out, is that 5,000 actually legitimate or are you just putting that on there because you don't want to get 7,000 resumes?
5: Yeah, and in in two in uh, 2010 I got hired into a position uh, a corporate position that has set minimums of like 5000 hours and I got picked up at about 2500 and one of the big issues they had was uh, they wanted the they wanted the applicant to have something like 500 hours or couple hundred hours in the actual aircraft. Well, I, I didn't have that either. Uh, but in the interview, I was able to distinguish myself as as somebody local and somebody that they'd be able to get along with and, and be productive with. It's a two-man flight department. So it was really important to make the other person feel comfortable. I got hired at 50% of the men's and the insurance company wasn't too happy about it. So they made me sit in the FO seat for 50 hours. And, and then I was able to start flying as captain. It's it's all about being able to present yourself and finding what your strengths are and how you can connect with the person in, in the department. And uh, that's that's one of the things we we really work hard to get that out of the clients to make sure that they can go in and, and speak confidently. Uh, that's we did a big part of that last night with that UPS person we were prepping, you know, letting them know that these things that they were shameful over are not going to affect them but you know bringing out the strengths that they actually have forward and, and they have a ton of strengths that that a company is going to really value
2: well and i think too it's an important thing for pilots to remember when everything's so great because it's always super high or super low it seems like it's not a lot of transition in between and so guys forget that when times are good you don't need so many things to set you apart from the next guy. And so they may bypass opportunities because it's more work or, or not volunteer at something or, or whatever that is. But it's one of those times you have to remember at the bottom side of the cycle and be like, okay, don't ever pass up an opportunity for something that will set you apart from another pilot. Besides the flight time and the time, and, and that's and what
1: uh, I mean. In a, in a previous conversation we had in an earlier segment, that's what Chris said. I mean, he's like, in a way, he was like, I, I saw my furlough as an opportunity to get a new
5: skill,
2: yeah, and
1: have something as right. a as a as a way to differentiate me. <laughs> yeah, I,
5: I was a water turbine repairman when I got furloughed in inside of dams, hydro dams. <laughs> <Really>? Wow, <laughs> it was a great experience. I, I learned a lot.
4: I don't know. Have you have you guys ever seen that Bruce Lee? There's an interview clip where he talks about being like water. And he talks about how it can take on many different shapes. You can put it in a glass, you can put in a cup. Yeah. You know, you can put in a <laughs> yeah, river. I know what you're
2: talking about. Yeah.
4: <laughs> that's that's actually what it is. Now the other thing, so so there, so part of that is you gotta be like water, meaning you have to be you have to adjust to whatever your surroundings are. Water is super powerful, but it's very adaptable. Number one. Number two, the other way that we use that water reference is my attitude is I am like water. If there's a friggin' leak, I'm making it in that door, right? So when it comes to, to getting into an organization, no is the start of the conversation, not the end. Now, you've got to be careful <laughs> on how you do that. You have to be politely persistent. But if there is a leak in that wall, if there's a leak in that boat, I will make my way through it. And those are the skills that we're teaching people is how do you make no the start of a conversation, not the end of a conversation, right? Because you're going to get a lot of no's. This this process is like weightlifting. It's very simple. It's just really hard. And very competitive. So, okay, we've essentially
1: had this conversation before, but I think it's really important for us to circle back and talk about some actionable steps because we've talked about the mindset. We've talked about, hey, there are jobs out there. What are some things listeners can do from the comfort of their own home without ever having to go put a tie on and knock on a door? What can we do right now?
4: At the end of the day, everybody has to take a very close look at what are they spending their time, their energy, their effort, and their money on. If it doesn't draw a straight line between them spending that time, effort, energy, and money and getting a job, you need to cut it out.
2: Because those are all very finite resources.
4: Well, I mean, just, I, I'll give you a really good example. I logged on to Pro Pilot World the other day and there is a, a message on there that said, hey, look, they're, they, they've, they felt the forum making a shift and they want to shift it back, to, back on course, right? If you're getting on social media and it's not pilots helping pilots, right? If you're getting on and you're reading about what captain bought a boat, you really got to ask yourself, how is that helping you, right? If you're spending money on something, whether it's eating out or a new resume, You've got to ask yourself, before I spend that cash, is that going to help me get a new job? And if the answer is no, don't do it. Right now, there's a lot of energy, time, and money being spent on things that are not directly leading to people achieving their objective, which is landing on their feet, getting a new job.
2: We call that NIPA non-income producing activity. So it's,
4: it's going to be a little bit different for each person, but they all are going to have to sit down and figure out how is that time, effort, energy, and money going to help them get to where they want to go. Otherwise, it's being wasted. And right now, people don't have excess resources.
1: I think everyone should be operating under the assumption that there is not going to be a second CARES Act and there is not going to be more time bought for
2: yeah, them. Don't right? fool yourself.
4: Hey, man, if 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 you're comfortable waiting until after the airplane hits the mountain to run your performance numbers, knock yourself out. (laughs) The time is now. I mean, literally. Yeah, (laughs) like right when I got laid off in 08, right, I got my notification in ground school as the instructor was handing out the written test. Not a joke. Right. So I got notified in October. Between November and December is when I did all my networking, because most everybody else goes, I'm going to take the holidays off. Hey, nobody's hiring in the holidays. So I'm not going to network. I had three jobs lined up in that two months. I got laid off in January. I got a two month severance and I started my new job the day my severance ended.
2: And that's the, that's kind of the approach that I took too. If everyone says, you know, I, I told everyone I worked at Southwest and of, of all the big airlines that are going to furlough, everyone would in their head always think, so, well, Southwest will be the last one, even if they do furlough. But I saw this and I looked, I'm like, this is nuts, dude. Like, all bets are off. And, and I had no illusion that Southwest is immune to furloughing to this. This is the worst we've ever seen it, it by a multitude compared to 9-11 or anything else. And so, yeah, like I said, you know, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but an opportunity presented itself. I wasn't operating any false pretense. I took the opportunity that I could at the, when it presented itself and, and moved forward.
4: Best day to plant a tree was yesterday. Second best day is today. <laughs> there you go. It's got, a, it's got a lot of sayings today, too. Yeah, listen to you. Well, no, right? I mean, because every everybody's sitting around frozen right now. And it's and they're, you know, they've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And now all of a sudden they feel like they're behind. And it's like, dude, time behind you is like runway behind you. Right? It's behind you. It's there's nothing you can use it for. So now what you do is you get your head in the game and you go, okay, hey, look, I'm gonna build a safety net for no other per. Purpose, then if I fall, it'll catch me. And worst case scenario, there's a net underneath there making me feel comfortable the whole time that I never have to tap into. And that's it. That's what networking is. You're creating a safety net that there's people there that are looking to support you. That if you need it, they'll help you. And if not, maybe you can help them if they need it later. I, I think you explained the mindset of be active right now
1: and laser focused. Are there any other resources that are available today? tangible
4: things that folks can do to get things going in the right direction. Sure. So, so on the note of spending time, effort, energy, right? Uh, we've decided that we're putting together seven groups of 15 people to do a seven-day networking challenge. We're going to do a one-hour group session, limited to 15 people. We have 13 different techniques that we use to basically get strangers talking, right? This is the biggest thing that folks have trouble with. If they could just get somebody to respond to them, they can usually get the conversation going on their own. We're going to teach them one technique. It's the most effective technique we have that very, very, very reliably gets people talking to them. We're going to spend an hour. We're going to teach them how to find people. We're going to teach them how to start conversations with people, and we're going to teach them how to keep those conversations going. After that one hour, we have a private chat group set up. That way, <clears throat> as folks in the group are reaching out to people and people are responding, right? They can tap into other people in the group and find out what are they doing that's working? What are they doing that's not working and get help, right? The objective is so it's going to be 10 people per day over seven days. So it's going to be 70 new people that you've reached out to that you don't know to send a connection request and get a conversation started on LinkedIn. At the end of it, we're going to do a group brief so we can talk about lessons learned, what do you do next, and learn what did you do well, what did you do poorly, and what can you improve on. When I got laid off in 2010, overwhelmingly, the emotion that I felt was depression. I could not get up off the couch. And even though I knew everything that needed to be done to get a new job, I just couldn't get up and deal with the rejection. And so I had people that did this exact same thing for me, right? They got up, they helped me out, they got me to start talking to people. And that's what led to me getting three job offers between getting furloughed and my severance running out. And we're going to do the same thing here. We're doing seven individual groups. That way we keep the group small or limited to 15. Um, small enough that people can ask questions, but large enough that they get to learn from each other's mistakes and successes. For all the folks, uh, so we know we're going to get more interest than we have availability. So what we're doing is we're having folks email info, I N F O at ravencareers.com, put seven day networking challenge in the title. The first 105 people that write in are going to get an email link with a schedule. They can pick one of any one of the seven um, days that we do this, this challenge to sign up. And then from there, like I said, we'll, we'll get started and getting people to start reaching out to people and learn the techniques on how to get strangers. They don't know talking. So, Financially speaking, it's going to be free and that we're not charging money, but we are asking for a time commitment. So they have to commit to showing up to the first one hour live session so they can learn the techniques. They have to commit to reaching to searching for and reaching out to 10 new people per day to establish new connections. They have to commit to participating in the group chat so that when other people are running into roadblocks, they can step in and help to get them over. And they have to commit to showing up to that final session, that one hour session to do a debrief so we can all do lessons learned. Because at the end of the day, we need to reinforce the lessons and make sure this is repeatable for folks moving forward so that they can use it to get referrals and get interviews and land a job.
2: Well, like we said, now is the time to act. And uh, this is the best way I've heard of. <laughs> uh, well, you, and
4: you don't have to leave your
1: house, right? Yeah, I mean, you can it. be on a trip. You could just log in on your computer. It seems pretty easy.
2: You
4: can do this in your underwear.
2: But if you're on a trip and and your trip conflicts with your time commitment, you got to figure it out, right? Yeah. Whether that's trading or
5: we'll, we'll have the, the group interaction ability as well. So there, there's going to be the time commitments of the actual one hour session, but you will be able to reach out to the pool and ask for assistance and ask for
4: guidance. We've done this before one-on-one and we've done it in groups and folks have consistently said in the groups that they really, really, really enjoy the ability to watch somebody else put themselves out there because it makes them feel a lot less threatened, right? Somebody tries something and then it works and they go, oh, okay, cool. I can try that. Somebody else tries and fails. They feel a lot more comfortable of, hey, it's not just me. Other people are trying and failing and then getting over the hurdle. It makes it, It's kind of like in flight training when you put the folks in the backseat to watch the other person do installs and landings. You learn a lot quicker... Watching someone else do it, right, while while then swapping into the seat and doing it yourself, than you do just going out lesson after lesson on your own. Sure.
2: Well, that's that's awfully generous for you guys. Thank you for for choosing us and, and our listeners to put that in front of first. And so, if you're listening now, you we're your looking phone to generate actual email.
4: hope. Yeah. That you can actually use to accomplish something, as opposed Time to, to just to step outside your
1: going, comfort going, zone, really, make
2: it happen. Mm-hmm. There you, you go. There's a chance.
4: Absolutely. Fellas, thank you
1: so much. We'll have all that information in the show notes. Uh, Info at ravencareers.com is where you need to send that email. Get on that seven-day challenge.
2: And of course. A really good reason to subscribe to the podcast. Of course. So you get that and notification as soon as they're dropped. Of we course. Should. All right, well, fellas,
1: uh, thank you so much as always for joining us and extending this offer to our listeners.
5: I, I think it's going to be awesome. I invite you to visit our, our website as well, ravencareers.com. There you're actually able to sign up for the weekly newsletter. I won't be writing one this week as we're trying to put all this together to, to have the best production we can for the people that are participating. Uh, But on there, you can sign up uh, with the link, get industry alerts and join our mailing list, as well as go through and look through the um, previous resources where you can access the podcast that we're on with you and uh, previous news updates and some blog posts that James likes to put together. Okay. And James, I got to ask you one
1: more question here before we go. On your LinkedIn posts, there's like all this capitalization and lowercase and uppercase and what is this? What is your strategy with that? Because
2: I, I look at that and I'm like, oh. I know. I feel like he's like sending a ransom letter, you know, where they used yeah, to cut out the first letter of the magazine like. article. So, <laughs> he's very angry.
4: And I know it's not a mistake. Like, I know you're doing something on purpose.
1: Do or is not this,
2: call the police.
4: No, no, no. I'll, I'll be completely honest with it, right? There's certain things that I need to draw your attention to that I need you to take away when people are scanning it. Because yeah. most people don't read the entire thing. They just scan it. Yeah. And so I need you to realize if you do this, that won't work. If you do this, that will work. So I'm just making it for uh, folks that are like me, that are lazy, that don't read everything completely. And now they can at least just skim it and go, Hey, you know, there we go. (laughs) That's me. Uh, You know, they can, they (laughs) they can, they can skim it and and pull out of it what they need.
5: So. And and when Um, we We get to advanced sessions of of LinkedIn networking. We're starting to talk about building content, you know, to, to show your expertise in your field. We'll discuss some of the metrics behind how LinkedIn works so that when you click publish, it, it's going to gain a little bit more ground than, than what it typically would. And, and part of what James is doing is utilizing some of those tactics, you know, get more, more time on on his posts and, and trigger the algorithm a bit more. for uh, a higher Yeah, level. I was going to
2: say like George Bush on Saturday Night Live.
4: Yeah, so just to give you an idea, I had a guy shoot me a text the other day. He goes, I'll just read it directly. He goes, so I shared a random post several days ago on LinkedIn. I made a post of my own, a very short one about the shared post." I'm about to cross 101,000 views and 361 reactions and 33 comments. Now I'm starting to understand the power of LinkedIn. My profile of views are up 352%. You may have been onto something with your LinkedIn proselytizing. <laughs> <laughs> so the, 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 cool thing, like the cool thing about this, this seven-day challenge that's actually really exciting for me is, is we get the, the same reaction every time, which is, that is ridiculously simple and I can't believe it actually worked. Yeah, Totally. Um, so it's it's a blast because what we do is we simplify it pretty dramatically so that it's, it because it has to be repeatable if it's not repeatable it's a waste of time and then people go go out and do it and it's so simple they're like there's no way this is gonna work and then they do it and they're like holy like 352 percent I mean is what his profile views went up that's stupid that's ridiculous but it's I mean we've got a hundred of those. Text messages and emails, so people coming back and going, you you won't believe the amount of profile views I got off this. So it's it's fun because well, it's repeatable. <laughs> Our uh, single <laughs> listeners are wondering if it'll work on Tinder as well
5: to yeah. the Do you
1: profile have a views. Of, We're so, so,
0: <laughs> so, wait, wait, hold,
4: hold on, hold on a second, hold on a second. So I was talking to a client the other day. And he's, he's sitting in a group of other, of other pilots and I call him up and he goes, Hey, hold on guys. It's my dating coach. Uh, so uh, it's, yeah, this works on, this works on Tinder and match.com. It's all the same stuff. Now, you're, now yeah. your, subscribership's oh, yeah. gonna go yeah. oh, now your subscribership going to go 352%. people are going to be <laughs> shoveling <laughs> money in your direction. That, that, is, yeah. Unbelievable. You may not want to put pilot on your uh, list of uh, job descriptions on LinkedIn any of those stuff, list. But this Tinder stuff, yeah. I am a hundred percent on board. Bumble. Yeah oh man Yeah, I mean, he was he was he was averaging ten thousand views an hour i mean it was it's just hilarious um, what did he works. post what what did he post well see, that you got to join a session to find <clears throat> out but, <laughs> there there are techniques where you can leverage different aspects of the algorithm and if you do it right you can start to get people to because what, what you really need to do is need to capture people's attention and once you capture their attention is just lights on
2: fire. So well the good news is I've already but, sent um, my email to info at RitmanCareers.com. So Ooh. I am there we go in. may the it odds is. be ever in your favor. <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, also opted for the extra Tinder Oh the Tinder <laughs> add on. Right. Okay. I'm just that's that's
5: it. a major upsell. <laughs> yeah. All right, fellas.
1: Well great talking to you as always. Thanks for bringing uh shining a little light in some people's lives right now. I know this week especially has been challenging for a lot of people. So I think it's encouraging to hear there are jobs out there. There are things you can do. You just don't want to sit on the couch and be bummed
2: out. Totally. And we are going to continue to beat this horse until it no longer is breathing. That's right.
4: I will bring my didgeridoo. It's gonna make those two guys from SNL. We will pump. Yeah,
5: yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'll
4: send what's, what's actually gonna happen is for all 105, Jason's gonna, I'm gonna buy tickets for Jason to travel to their house. He's physically gonna throw them over the fence. That, that's Ooh. actually how it works. All right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that.
5: Get outside of your comfort zone.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go.
4: Yeah. Oh, man. Every day starts off with a breakfast and nails and
0: nuts and bolts. Welcome to the school of hard knocks. <laughs> Get down to the FPO.
5: <laughs> Say man. My some name. of the best stuff What's
2: happens. got <laughs> from Napoleon Dynamite.
1: <laughs> Other this? arm. No. Hey, Rex Quando? <laughs> yeah,
2: Rex
5: Quando. <laughs> Grab my arm.
2: <laughs> my, other
1: my, arm. Other arm. <laughs> my other arm. Other arm. My other arm all
2: right, uh, that's all right fellas Good for a laugh. That's some
5: the, now some of the best stuff is towards the end. I'm seeing some of the the five dysfunctions of a team right now. We might know, have to yeah, wrangle yeah. some of this in. Yeah. <laughs> all right. I'm gonna post a
2: video of Rex Quando to my LinkedIn. See how that turns <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah. That's a secret. With oh, this, right. you should do that's it. Wrong. Yeah. Yes, With yes, the yes. American flag pants. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <And> the bandana. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh,
1: I'm crying. I, this is all, it, all right. Thanks, guys. Well, we kind of dropped the ball and uh, didn't record a listener story for this episode. So we got to dig into the treasure trove and think of a couple of ours. So anytime you hear a story from me and Max, it means that we... <laughs> we
2: didn't get around to a listener story. So <laughs> once again, those of you with stories, info at 215podcast.com. Let us know. We'd love to record it.
1: Yeah. So let's... We were, so we were talking to James and Jason about interviewing and and uh, and some of those techniques and stuff. So I don't know why. I was really trying to get into business aviation. I was an airline pilot at the time. And I, I can't remember, you were already flying corporate, I think, on the beach jet. And I can't remember if it was you that set me up or somebody set me up with this interview with a beach jet operator. Do you, I, you probably don't remember this. And I was like, oh, great, you know, and they're like, just go do a meet and greet at the FBO. And for some reason, I don't know why, I'm like in my mid-20s, I'm like, you know what? I think I just want to look cool. I'm going to wear linen pants and like, like a button up shirt like a short sleeve button up shirt and flip flops come I'm like, I'm in there like i think like i look like one of the 12 disciples or something either that
2: or you're looking to get married on the beach I, in the I, caribbean yeah,
1: exactly i don't know what i was thinking so i'm like yeah that's that's the move that's the look well you know james says you gotta you know stand out guys so love linen. yeah guys love it it's just it breathes a lot you know it's hot here in the yeah, summer was there a lot
2: of wind that day
1: yeah i don't know <laughs> So I went down to the FBO and I met this guy super sharp. I don't know if, I can't remember if he was a military guy, but he just kind of looked that way. And so we met and he goes, oh yeah, come on into this thing. And we're like sitting down and it wasn't like you were sitting at a desk Or like a table was hiding you. No, we were like sitting on these couches. So like he's just looking head on at me with my flip flops on and these linen pants, untucked shirt, and we're just kind of shooting the breeze. And he started asking. me. Hopefully, wore
2: black underpants. So that yeah,
1: right. (laughs) He started asking me like technical questions about not about the airplane, but like he actually remember like this was the worst my the worst interview. No, no. He goes now. Tell me about the program, if you need to get into uh, like ski country during a busy time, or if it's maybe the Super Bowl, what's the program that you need to be involved in? He was in? asking you this? Yeah. And, and I didn't know. I'm like, I don't really know. And it was, I think it used to be called the STMP program. And it's something else now. I don't even know if it exists anymore. And and so he got me on that. And I was just so completely unprepared and un- and looked unprofessional. It was like by far my worst interview and uh, believe it or not, I didn't get the job. So, yeah. So anyways, so I think most of our listeners that might be getting nervous about an interview, you can't do worse than that. I mean, as long as you wear closed-toed shoes, you're going to do better than what I did. So linen pants, I'm 0 for, 0 for 1 on the linen pant interview <laughs> also. Hey, who's got
2: a job in linen pants, though? That's such a <laughs> yeah. power move, though. Yeah, Adam.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's the ultimate flex. So that was one of my worst. Oh, my God. I know. Yeah, you know, I know these guys over at Raven Careers. Maybe
2: you should give them a call.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> no, he, well, he keeps saying he's not worried about us starting a, competi- or yeah. a competitor. He, says, he says
2: they recommend beige linen pants. So yeah, That's
1: where right. it went wrong. Yeah, machine washable. <laughs> uh, what about you? You have any good uh, interview stories? You used to interview people like at Embry-Riddle for flight instructor jobs, didn't
2: you? Yeah, so... <laughs> I had this gig is it was called the title was the interview coordinator. And what I did was I took the resumes and I'm pretty sure I single handedly decided who we interviewed and I was, I was just an instructor, but I, I kind of thinned the herd and then I would schedule the, interview with there's like a like a panel interview and yeah. then a flight interview and a sim interview i believe right
1: oh my gosh that remember? to this day was probably the most challenging interview I've, it was two days long I
2: yeah it was legit it was and so yeah there was a flight like which was like teaching and like DFR yeah. stuff and then there was a sim remember like an mm-hmm. ifr mm-hmm. sim and so but i was also a, in in the flight standards department so i could and those paid more so i could also then schedule myself to interview all these people <laughs> So,
1: I would, you haven't figured out that Max knows how to work it.
2: uh, (laughs) So, I would, I would, you know, get all the people and decide who to interview. And then I would stack my schedule with whoever and then divvy it uh, amongst the rest of the people. (laughs) But it was, it was great, dude. I used to mess with those people so bad. (laughs) Again, if you haven't figured out about my hacks, <laughs> and just remember, like, <clears throat> I mean, just stuff. And I would pretend being the student, you know, and and do stalls and just mash the rudder and send us into a spin. And like, or or, <laughs> so you're on an interview flight with the candidate, and he's you're saying,
1: "Oh, teach me how to do a stall." Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. And then I would and I would just pull it back and hammer it hard. And and I was teaching an upset training too at the time, so I was <laughs> get pretty aggressive sometimes. <laughs> so just flopping a oh, one seventy two on its yeah, back. Okay. The, those remember those newer 172's they would really oh, yeah. wrap up and like and flop on their back. I've backs. seen so on YouTube. You really, yeah, if you really aggravate it, it's seen, I don't know why it's the same airplane, but the older ones were a lot more. And then the new ones that we got would really roll on their back. and, oh and my god. So I'd do that, and people would freak out. And, <laughs> and then we'd do the what was the one? I used to love to go to that airport. It was Baghdad. Oh my god! Baghdad, Arizona. You've never heard of it? Let's, look up, reason, Let's look up the airport. Let's look up the airport like e code, and we can give it to. But it's, it's a mining town. There's just nothing going on there. There's no FBO, no gas, no nothing. The runway is like a, a bowl. It's just, it's there's nothing going on there. So you can kind of get away and do whatever you wanted. And I remember it, I'd be the student and then I'd be flying and I'd go over there and I'd pull the power to idle and be like, oh, the engine failed. What are you going to do? Your controls and make these guys like dead stick it down into baghdad and e- e-
1: echo 51 that's and i would the airport. distract
2: them and i'm like oh is this the high key point you talked to me about are we at low key right now how do you know when we're going to turn base when do you put the flaps down what airspeed are you going to fly how do you know we're going to make it and i <laughs> oh my god so to any of those people that are
1: listening right now i'd oh, like to take this chance please. to apologize yeah <laughs> No, don't don't apologize. Give them our phone number. Let's get them <laughs> on the air. That was pretty hard on a lot of those people. But. Oh man, good stuff.
2: <laughs> and The sim dude, <laughs> and you do like the all the weird failures, like iced up pedo tube, and they start, and that <laughs> <it> was. Pretty- <laughs>
1: hey, but if you got through that interview. You deserved it.
2: You did, and and a lot of people too. Like in the IFR portion, you know, I'd I'd start it'd really load them up bad, and they would like crash and stuff. But but I would still be, you know, I would evaluate it from the how they handled it. Like right. a lot of times, I would throw them an impossible situation, yeah, just to just to really put them under the gun, and 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 but just because they crashed didn't mean I didn't give them a, the thumbs up and right. recommend. Them. And a lot of those people got hired, but and yeah. then they come back and be like, "You were such a jerk in that interview." <laughs> We're gonna have like a Max
1: uh, jerk day call show, all show of like Ghost of Christmas Past. You should probably then, rent a dunk tank yeah, and then I'll right. sit in there for a day. <laughs> Make a donation and dunk him. Uh, I love it. Hey, all yeah, right. A lot of those people are better pilots
2: because of me. Of I course. Like, I like oh think. yeah,
1: I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> they, I'm sure they all agree. It's all in good fun, man. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll post Max's personal phone number and email in the show. I don't notes, know about so those guys,
2: but I had an awesome. Time. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, that was good. So we'd love to hear if you had a uh, crash and burn interview story. I think that'd be pretty interesting. We could all probably learn something from it. Totally. Yeah. So if you're brave enough to share a interview misstep, send us an email. Let us know.
2: Info at 215podcast.com. Or you can reach out to Dylan on the socials. Yeah. At 21.5 podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. I monitor
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> Very loose monitoring. It's kind of like how I monitor 21.5 while flying. Yeah, right. In <laughs> what about, worried. do you
2: remember the interview at American Eagle? So you're most likely a flight instructor, right? Yeah. And they're like, okay, here's the simulator portion of you. And they throw you in a 707. Well, Remember they had the KC-135
1: sim? Yeah. I actually w- interviewed a couple years after you. So we flew the Saab.
2: Oh really, dude? This thing—you've never flown anything in your life—and you hop into a seven hundred and seven. You're know, like flaps one, flaps five, flaps fifteen. Yes, uh, flaps twenty-five, of course. Flaps thirty. Go ahead, and you're just like, what the? F- what am I doing right now? <laughs> it's all round dial. Wait, you're are four there four a- thrust levers? I was just gonna say, aren't there four engines, on
3: dude? The- it, was,
2: yeah, it was the most ridiculous thing ever,
1: but. Uh- I did it in the Saab, which wasn't that fast of an airplane. And even then, I remember they walked us in and there was maybe six of us in the interview and the instructor, uh, that's a whole different story I'll have to tell another day. But he he walks in and he goes, all right, guys, well, we're going to do the thing. We're going to take off and do a whole ILS and some other stuff. And he goes, here's every call out you need to make. And he like the whole company, <laughs> call, wrote him on the board and then goes, who wants to go first? <laughs> then, did anybody volunteer? And I went and I'm like, I'll go. So wow, I went good for first you. and maybe made two of the call, you know, like two call outs. Oh, out that was of right. the, Yeah. Right. up. I mean, <laughs> condition lover set. <laughs> I don't even remember what I said, but I went first because I figured, well, then I won't be on the hook to know any of these. That was my strategy it was like, well, if he just wrote them down and then made me go in the sim, I at least have an excuse.
2: Strategia, a strategy. Yeah. Strategy. good.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So it worked.
2: Yeah. You got the jobs. So. Boom. What do you
1: no, want? F- yeah. And I didn't do that one in flip-flops either because it's hard to fly the same <laughs> flip-flops. I've learned. <laughs> Scumbag.
2: Yeah. All right. Anyway, you got a good interview story. Let us know. Yeah. And that'll do it for this episode of the One Five podcast. Podcast for professional pilots by professional pilots. We hope you guys pick something up useful out of the podcast. If you're one of the few pilots that has no worry about losing their job, then... Congratulations. Good for you.
1: Yeah. Enjoy your time on your boat or your RV. (laughs) Thanks to all our guests for joining us. Uh, Thanks to Chris for sharing his positive message. Again, if you want to get in touch with him, he's that guy on propilotworld.com.
2: And as always, thanks to Jason and James for uh, their generous contribution to our podcast and also to our listeners in the form of their first 105 email program that they have. So,
1: yep check the show notes for the details on that be sure and sign up right away I think that's going to fill up very quickly a lot of great value there yeah it's a huge opportunity and it's free so that is awesome 25podcast.com is the website merch store is available there and I think that's going to do it Max we've got some really fun stuff coming up in the next few weeks so stay tuned make sure you're subscribing
2: all right and thanks of course to our listeners everybody seriously yeah. thank you we really appreciate your support yep we love
1: getting the messages almost every single day. We're getting messages Goes, I just discovered your podcast because somebody I flew with told me about it. Yeah,
2: it's crazy. And I literally still all the time be like, do you believe that people actually listen to us and then write us messages? It's, it's very surreal for us. So we appreciate it. Thanks.
1: We love to hear from you folks. Thanks again. I know there's some trying times out there right now, but just remember, flexibility
2: is the key to air power.
0: Run, God.